Greetings, Greenhouse people. I'm your host, Bill Calkins with Ball Tech On Demand. And on the agenda today is a topic that's pretty cutting edge. And not necessarily because it's brand new in the world of horticulture, but due to the fact that this type of production is expanding and becoming critical to more and more growers uh, all across North America. And I'm talking about tissue culture. And like you, I'm excited to hear more about this from our guests today, both of whom have tremendous knowledge to share from research and application perspectives. Specifically, they're discussing tissue culture acclimation and the key components to success in ornamental plant production. Joining me today is Deanna Felton, longtime propagation and production manager from Sunbelt Greenhouses in Georgia, and Dr. Nathan Jonke, the culture research manager at Ball Horticultural Company in Chicago. And I know you guys have a lot to say on this topic, so let's get started. All right. Uh, so before we even talk about acclimation, we need to talk about the preparation that uh, you're getting into before receiving your tissue culture. So that involves uh, preparing, inspection, but also the grading process. So uh, take it away with the packing list, the first thing that you should be getting. So you should re be, because, so clear, when it clears customs, you should be receiving a packing slip. So that packing slip helps you um, set up what you're going to um, prepare for to stick. So, and also um, we've worked really hard working with the labs to be able to get to know what we've got coming in the container and how many plants are actually in the container. Um, what we found when we started out with this is that the lab just gave you a, an overall number and one flask might have 100 plants in it and another one might have 50. So um, in your planning process, we were working to, to try to get uh, uniformity. So by knowing what you're getting, you're going to prepare your labor force for that. And then you've got to be able to get your trays ready and your tags and everything and be prepped. And so that when that material arrives, you're ready to stick it. When we're in the um, growing area, we, you want to make sure that it's clean and disinfected as well as in the stick on your sticking line. And you want to have uh, a good source of humidity. And you can see in the picture here that we have um, dry fog. And this has made a, a tremendous um, improvement in our in environment at our greenhouse to have that when we're on, when we're sticking. And um, it helps uh, the, the cutting to be... Um, turgid quicker and um, helps in the growing environment. We also have that going in our uh, coolers as well. Yeah, so it, it, it's holding, right? You have some holding potential as well. Uh, yes. When the product in. So humidity is the key with tissue culture as we'll see more. Um, so then we have the inspection process. Once you get the material in, you know, once you've confirmed the number of plants you and containers you have from your packing list, what are you looking for uh, on those plantlets to determine if they're stickable or not? Uh, one thing is contamination, and this is bacterial or fungal growth within the flask on the auger. You see a small amount of that around this plantlet here. If you have a large amount of it overcoming all of the plantlets and you see some breakdown, don't stick. But if it's just superficial, plantlets look good, the growing points intact, the roots look good, Likely, this is not going to be a big issue, but something for sure you want to make sure that the lab is aware of. And if you are storing flasks, 
uh, for a time being, you do run the risk for getting more contamination in there, especially if you've broken any of the seals or opened any of the containers. Um, the main thing though, when we're inspecting is looking for breakdown, checking those roots to make sure they're healthy, and as well as the growing tip, the meristem, the growing point where new leaves are emerging. Um, we can see the vitrified leaf here in the bottom left. Uh, this is some delphinium red lark here in the top right with some yellowing on the leaf tips. Um, a lot of this is not always bad. Uh, the plantlets can survive. You know, we saw that in the alocasia earlier. Um, as long as the growing tip is intact, the roots look good, these can survive. And a lot of this can be related to uh, post-harvest shipping stress. In the bottom right, you'll see this black auger. That's actually activated charcoal that they've mixed into the auger itself uh, because some species actually grow better in that. And that's because of the contaminants uh, that certain crops release into uh, the media. And so this inactivates those um, leachates from the plant. Uh, this is a quick video here in the top of something you might see come your way if you're shipping or receiving plants in auger. You know, the shipping process can be brutal. And if the auger is not quite thick enough or if it's been shaken too much, those can flip over. And that's where you get a lot of this vitrified look so again, as long as the roots look good and the growing tip looks good, you're going to be okay. Um, but that's definitely a challenge you could run into. All right, so uh, check in. What do we need to be looking for? What are what do people need to mark off the list? All right, so when you check in, you need to check, did you receive the number of bags that were on your packing slips or flasks? Is there consistency in the counts within those containers? Um, if they're not, you need to communicate with your supplier and let them know what you're, what you've gotten in. And if there are issues, are you short? Did you, did they ship too much? Sometimes that happens. Um, scheduling and holding, um, you, we can, you can hold at least some things in the, uh, auger container, at least two weeks. And that helps you um, schedule how you're going to do your um, transplant. Or you can, if it's ex auger, you can hold it a few days. And then um, in that light, in your um, cooler, you're going to have some lights set up. You're going to have some dry fog set up. So, because you're trying to keep that environment humid as well. Yeah, I'd say just to echo on that counts thing, uh, when you turn over the flask, you can actually count. You know, if the auger stays there, you can count and get a good read on that. Um, but they should be providing a percentage of overpack to you when the, the flasks come in. And so you can get a quick count that way. Um, and then with the light intensity, you know, we've done, you'll see some research in the next few slides. Um, as long as you're not pitch black and those plants aren't receiving any lights, uh, really there's not an excessive amount of light you can provide, but you should be providing some. And then room temperature is, is ideal because these were grown at root temperature in the lab. You just don't want them to get excessively hot like you would in a head house or a greenhouse situation. But also I wouldn't go below 65 because you are likely working with a lot of tropical species and you could induce some chilling injury. Grading, this is one of our most important steps right here. Um, and there's some pictures there, but I'll, I'll let you go over those three steps of grading. So at the time of stick, 
um, you can see in the picture below where you can get some va variability in the size of the plantlet you're getting. So we will, at the time of stick, grade those out and put the smalls with the smalls and the larges with the largest. And you can see in the picture above, um, it can be dramatically different in what you, the way it grows and um, the way it'll, it'll affects your crop time a lot. So we do that at the time of stick. And then after uh, they're rooted, then we grade them again. To it helps um, grade them out by size as well. It helps with watering and fertilizing and um, letting your customer know uh, when your product's going to be ready. We also grade again two weeks prior to ship to make sure there aren't any issues and that we're sending a uniform product into our customer. So we actually grade three times. Yep. And I think, you know, as long as we keep going with tissue culture, um, hopefully that will be less. Maybe we can reduce that a little bit. Um, but in the beginning, if you're working with a lab that you're unfamiliar with or it's a new crop, um, it's good to get those eyes on it three times and it will make it more manageable for your growers as well uh, to keep water under control. We, Nathan, we have found that um, by doing the grading at stick, it has greatly reduced the amount of grading that happens after it's rooted. Yeah. Yeah. All, all that preparation work in the beginning, the earlier you can do it, the more time and more money you're going to save, right? Because you can yes. also ask yourself at that point, what are you, what are you willing to stick? Um, roots or no roots. So generally you want to stick things that have roots. Um, not saying that things without roots aren't going to make it, but crop time is likely going to be delayed and you'll probably have a higher loss percentage without with things that don't have roots. Um, out of spec size, you know, uh, develop the size that you really want to see from the lab and give clear pictures of what you want to receive from the lab. So something like this over here, you know, put some bars on it and say, hey, this is ideal, this is too big and this is too small. Um, Deanna has said multiple times, two mature leaves with an active shoot. Uh, we don't want, uh, if you're thinking about sticking those smalls, a good rule of thumb is two to three weeks more on your crop time if you're gonna stick them. And then if you have something that's on the large side, you might be one to two weeks ahead and you need to consider some plant growth regulators to control that height. Examples of what not to stick. So hopefully this is a good slide for everybody to reference overly calloused material. Uh, you might see this, you know, if you're working with unrooted cuttings and you have a really wet propagation environment, this is the same type of thing. If you look at this uh, aglaonema here on the bottom in the middle of the slide, you can see like a thick stem base. You can also see these large roots here. Anytime you get something that looks really corky or thickened at the bottom of the plantlet, that's gonna have a really hard time rooting. Uh, those roots aren't gonna push out through there. It's a lot of undifferentiated cells. So we wanna avoid sticking that stuff. Something that's extremely small in this bottom picture here, you know, that's probably the size of your fingernail, if not even smaller, that's gonna be a big challenge to uh, make sure those aren't either overwatered or just completely underwatered. Stuff that's breaking down, we've said multiple times, if it has a good growing tip and good roots, stick it. Uh, stretched beyond saving. Uh, you can get stuff that the lab has had to hold on to a little bit longer. And so they could be really stretched and it's gonna be a challenge for it to be stuck and then stay upright in the tray. Um, but one thing to consider is if it is a little bit stretched, 
say on uh, alocasia, I think is what we've ran into before. Yes. Um, those leaves can be really tall, but then your new leaves are going to develop and that petiole is going to be shorter if you have the right environment. So then you can recover from something that's a little bit too stretched. I uh, think that depends on what the material is when it, that's stretched. Right. Yeah. Alocasia, good. Um, some other things might not be. Stuff with too many shoots. We've said that before. Here's a picture of those clump ficus uh, lyrata. So you can see that this one's probably got 20 different shoots in it. And it, while rooted, it's not going to produce a nice plant at the end of the day when someone's potting up where you can see a single stem ficus lyrata right here. Looks really nice. And if someone needs a multi-stemmed container, just plant three of those. We're going to get a much more uniform tray. Anything you want to add to that of what they should look out for and not stick? Um, if the uh, it's breaking down in the bag, if you have anything that's really extremely vitrified, you may not want to stick that. Yeah, totally, totally agree. All right, so the conundrum with roots or no roots, um, stick if roots are present. Uh, a lot of that does depend on the crop or the age and quality of the plantlet. I've got some delphinium here on the slide. Uh, so these are really two-week-old plantlets after they've been uh, subcultured. You can see a little bit of callus there, but you see nice white uh, stem tissue and also uh, new leaves emerging as well. So I would say that, you know, these are likely going to survive if I can manage the humidity and light well. Uh, but then if you look below here, see how thick that is. You can see callus on the bottom of this plantlet. And also these petioles are really stunted and I'd say they were quite brittle. So if you've got something that's really looks, just feels old, um, it, it's likely going to have a trouble rooting, especially if it doesn't have any roots to begin with. We have done some work with echinacea, which are notorious for having long roots. And you can actually cut those and uh, stick them and they will root out much better. Your sticking efficiency is going to be much higher. Um, it does slow you down a little bit to cut all of these, but way easier to stick. So consider that, but do some trials first before you jump way into it. Um, and some crops will handle this much better than others. Uh, Echinacea, for example, has more fibrous, thinner roots compared to aglaonema, which are very thick and fleshy. All right, so this is the, the main portion here where everyone should be taking notes, acclimation. As a general rule, acclimation is about two weeks long, but there are a lot of exceptions to that. Crops that'll acclimate really quickly and crops that take a little bit longer. Uh, but we're really what we're looking here for is something that can handle a lower humidity environment. So you're not going to get wilting. There's active root growth, but also um, active leaves growing out of the shoot tips as well. And I want to take everybody back to their childhood when you've been at the fair and you're uh, playing a game and you win a goldfish. Probably everybody's ran into this either themselves or as a parent. And what do we do when we get those plants uh, home? We do not stick the fish right into the fish tank, but we stick the bag with water and the fish to float for a little bit. And what that is doing is actually letting the uh, plant acclimate or the, the fish acclimate to its new environment. 
And we need to do the same thing for our plants that were grown in the containers in the lab. So if you don't get anything from this presentation, except this number one goal here, great. Uh, but focus on limiting dehydration and that's gonna help set you up for success for tissue culture. I'm gonna get into the science a little bit behind that here. So bear with me, but we need to know why tissue culture dehydrates in order to prevent it. And two of those components are cuticle and roots. Now the cuticle is basically like our skin. It prevents dehydration and water basically just leaking out of us. And so plants have uh, this waxy cuticle layer on top of their surfaces, which prevents dehydration and water just pouring out of it. And because tissue culture is grown in a container that's closed off, it's 100% humidity in there, it's growing in jello, they really don't have a need for this cuticle to develop. And so that's why they dehydrate so quickly. And if you don't believe me, when you get your first tissue culture, take one out of the flask and just walk around with it for 15 minutes in the greenhouse, it'll start wilting. The second part of that are these roots and we called them water roots before. And the reason this is, is you know, when you have uh, unrooted cutting, growing roots in a very saturated media, there's no root hairs on there. And so basically that's what this is growing in. It's growing in jello. And so um, they're really not efficient at taking up water, one, because they're living in it, and two, because it's super humidity, super really high humidity. Um, and for a while, it was actually thought that a lot of water roots are useful after uh, sticking, uh, but we've done some research and actually seen that it, with the delphinium at least, once you stick that, if you have the correct environment, those water roots continue to grow. And even within 24 hours, you can get root hair development. So uh, that's why the root health is important, but also that they're shorter because what, if you stick something that has short roots, this plantlet is gonna attach to the substrate right here. Instead of something, say it has roots down here, now the attachment points down at the bottom of the cell. So that's gonna give you a nice good pull once that liner is rooted. The last thing to consider are chloroplasts. Now chloroplasts are what uh, does photosynthesis in a plant. So that's where it gets all its energy. And these chloroplasts while in tissue culture are sort of disorganized and they're not really useful, right? Cause we've provided all of the food for the plant in this auger. And so they're really just sort of lazy. They're just all over the place. They're not aligned correctly. And so this means that plants could be really sensitive to light, but they're also got a time leg to developing their own food. And so this is why tissue culture plantlets need a really steady acclimation to the greenhouse environment to be successful. All right, so uh, we've got multiple different acclimation structures and um, some of these include shade cloth, uh, rime or cheesecloth, plastic, and you could also use a cooler or a chamber. And we've got different examples of these on the slide. And basically all of these are either limiting the amount of light that the plants receive or helping hold in humidity. And you'll wanna play around with these depending on your greenhouse environment. If you can maintain your humidity pretty well, but you need a little bit more control, rime is a great option. If you have got a lot of heat, uh, say HPS, 
plastic might be a little bit more helpful to prevent more dehydration, but uh, Sunbelt, you guys have a great setup, right? Uh, I actually really like it. Yes. Um, what we did, we it was simple. What we did was take uh, a table and we flipped, uh, put some black plastic on it with expanded, they're expanded metal moving tables. And then we set some um, clean new plug trays on the bottom. And then we built, built a frame and then we cover it with remay. And we're able to um, put some water in the bottom of that table um, at just a small amount to help keep that really humid. And then we've also added the dry fog. So we've created a really nice humid environment for our crop. And um, it depends on the um, type of environment. We can have where our environment is really, really warm and we may have fans exhausting. So that creates a lot of air movement. So one of the things that we will do is um, run the boom over to try to keep that fabric moist. You can also have that situation occur when we're heating. Um, if it's extremely cold, it may be drying out our environment and um, we might have to mist over the fabric a little bit, plus use the dry fog. Uh, so the type of environment you have really affects what you're doing um, with that tissue culture. So you've, your, your goal is to keep it humid so that your acclimation it, a transition is, works well. Yeah, and then you'll you'll roll these up over time, right? In order to let a little bit more air movement in there. Yes, yes. As the, as they begin to root, then we'll um, trans transition them actually out of that frame. That frame. We'll start with first where we roll the sides up, uh, and because um, we don't want the light to be too high on it at first, and then we'll eventually we'll we'll un uncover it, but we'll still keep it in our environment where where we have our drag fog going and then eventually it transitions out into the environment out in our greenhouse. Yeah so if you're new to tissue culture you definitely want to consider what space and facilities you have in order to maintain this humidity. Um, obviously there's some simple things that you can do in order to develop a structure like this um, but also walking through that space in different times of the year or different times of day is going to be important. Um, to know what type of things might be pulling out your humidity from um, the space itself. Um, so I want to talk about light here um, because we've mentioned uh, reducing our light a little bit. And so when we think about light, there's multiple things involved. One is intensity of light. Now, if any of you have a light meter, you might be equating this to PPFD or micromoles or foot candles. Um, that's our intensity. Light also consists of a duration. This is more commonly referred to as photo period or day length. Um, and one thing that often has been talked about with tissue culture is that it people are say it needs low light conditions after sticking. And well, this is not actually true, but a little bit true at the same time. So we did an experiment in a, a grow tent here with LED lighting. And you'll see the PPFD here, 114, about half at 56, and then a middle range at 75. So we achieved this by putting the plants uh, in proximity to the light fixture up on top. Now, DLI is the total amount of light that a plant has accumulated within a day. So they received 114 micromoles per meter squared per second, and then you have 24 hours on a day, and that's how you can calculate your DLI. 
Um, so we did this and acclimated these delphinium. And uh, really, we didn't see any damage to these plants at these higher uh, PPFD or this higher DLI compared to something that didn't have a high uh, intensity. And that one thing that we were missing in that trial was actually the heat component that light contains. Now, if you've ever walked under high pressure sodium, it gets a little toasty underneath those, uh, those lights. The temperature of plants specifically can be three to five degrees warmer under high pressure sodium compared to LED lighting. And that's because high pressure sodium produces a lot of radiant heat. You can see that on this figure here with the left. Uh, see all this red portion? So for this figure, 55% uh, of the electrical energy going into this fixture comes off as radiant heat. Um, and so this plant here is going to be a lot warmer than something under LEDs where there's a lot less, but it's also contained around the fixture itself. So uh, in that previous trial, we didn't have a lot of radiant heat going onto those plant surfaces. And that's what actually is going to cause a lot of dehydration. So really, it's not the uh, percentage or the, the quantity of light, but it's the heat that comes off light. Uh, we took a uh, infrared thermometer or a camera, sorry, excuse me, uh, out in the greenhouse. And when I turned on this uh, HID light right here, uh, within five minutes, that light had been over 320 degrees Fahrenheit. So these heat up really fast. And then if you look at the LED bar in the back, that's around 127 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. So huge difference in amount of heat that is coming off those. And so if you want to limit dehydration, look at LED lighting as an option to do that. But also if you have high pressure sodium, think and consider that those light fixtures might be causing dehydration if you're gonna stick tissue culture underneath or even under the cuttings for for example. All right, so the recommendation there is, you know, anything over 70 micromoles is probably a good recommendation for tissue culture, as long as you can manage the radiant heat component. All right, so water is the second component here that's really important. Uh, talk to us about how you wet up your trays and what you guys are looking for in propagation. So um, we, um prepare our trays beforehand and try to have a level two to three moisture level within whatever media we are using. We do loose fill and alleys and um, it makes it really important that we don't have, we have that humidity buffer when we transplant that plantlet. So you'd say probably like similar to unrated cuttings, right? We don't want it yes. super saturated, but we also don't want it super dry because then we can get what you see here. Um, is, you know, plantlets wilt so fast. And so if you don't have the right humidity or if you have substrate that's really dry, it'll just suck the moisture right out of that cutting. Um, and have you done anything in loose fill or is it primarily just the Ellie's? We've done, no, we've done both uh, loose fill and Ellie's. Um, we've got certain things that we've worked out that do better for us in with a really fine root system, such as uh, Rex begonia works really well in the loose fill. So, so you want the same type of moisture level. So water can be in our substrate, but also in the air. And the air actually at this point in acclimation is way more important. And that's because um, this is what is going to dehydrate. It's got the biggest space that could dehydrate your plantlets. 
And so with the air, we want to minimize our leaf wetness um, and that we achieve that by having high humidity and minimizing leaf wetness by having the smallest droplet size possible. Uh, if you're not familiar with VPD, that is vapor pressure deficit. And that's a function of relative humidity up on the top here and temperature. Um, some systems like Argus or other greenhouse control systems can do calculations to uh, measure VPD and they might factor in um, plant leaf temperature as well as the air temperature. But when we look at VPD as a function of relative humidity and temperature, as we decrease uh, relative humidity or we increase temperature, the values get uh, larger or higher. And the higher the value, the more the atmosphere is pulling water out of the plants. And so in tissue culture, we really want acclimation to be anything less than 0.5 kilopascals. So that would be um, no less than, well, I mean, you could go all the way up to 60% humidity, but you need to be down at like 14 degrees Celsius. So probably not where we're growing. Um, if you're around that, you know, 65 to 75 range, you want humidity to be over uh, 80% to achieve that. Now in acclimation where we run into wilting, anything over 0.5 is gonna cause wilting. So if you can measure VPD, if you run into these values over here, that's where we're gonna see wilting. Once we have active root growth and leaf growth and you're not seeing wilting anymore, uh, then you can move over into those higher VPD values by dropping your humidity or increasing your temperature in the greenhouse. Um, another thing that we've uh, seen through research here in West Chicago is um, minimizing leaf movement. So in this bottom video here, you can see these plants shaking and I actually had this whole chamber at almost 100% relative humidity. And the next day when I came and looked at the plants, they were all laying on the ground, even though I had the humidity I needed. And the thing that happened was the amount of air movement I had in this chamber. So even though I had the right humidity, that amount of air movement was enough to pull water out of the plants themselves. So if you see leaves moving during acclimation, you've got too much air moving. Um, but what we do wanna see is this fog and those small droplets circling, circulating in the greenhouse or in the chamber. All right, so uh, the last part of our success components is the feedback, which we cannot stress enough. So talk about some of the things we've, we've seen as we've worked on this project together <laughs> and what feedback you're providing through Ball and also to the labs. So um, one of the th things that we saw, we had a syngonium that had uh, fusarium. I think that saw there was a problem we were able to get the lab to correct it and um, it looked kind of black coming in at, in the bag and um, they were able to correct it. And now we actually get uh, have gotten really nice looking syngonium without a problem. Um, you, sometimes you can get um, tissue that is uh, will look broke down and you can see below there's a good example of a picture of where we had a lot of fusarium. Oh, on that one picture. And then uh, you can get breakdown coming in. Um, if it looks kind of vitrified, you might end up with the, maybe the next day that the plant just totally collapses. 
you can end up with overcallist, like we were talking about in the uh, aglaonema. And um, you really don't want to stick that type of material if it's got a if it's overcallist because it may not even root for you at all. And if you've got growing points that are damaged, um, that could be an issue for you. Uh, what we found is the uh, alocasias can have a little bit of yelling to them, and they seem to uh, survive it and come out of it as long as you have some uh, – the new shoot is okay. But um, that's some of the challenges we've had um, going through the process of learning how to grow this crop. Yeah, you can see some musa here in the top right. Like those might have a leaf spot here and there, and, and that might be a judgment call of, hey, do you want to risk that or not? Um, but if there's damage on there, I would definitely provide that feedback to the lab that, hey, this is damage coming in the bag and we might stick it, hold on to it, report back in a few weeks later. Um, but again, then you also need to, it may not always be a lab thing. Consider, hey, do I have the right acclimation? Do I have the right environment? Um, and then if you checked all those boxes, look at other things of why the plants might be breaking down. Because a lot of this post-stick breakdown is going to happen within 24, 48 hours. Um, and that could be poor quality of the TC coming in from the lab. Um, so with that feedback, we have a lot of different uh, options on providing feedback, right? Um, but some of the most successful ones are specific with photos, right? We provide a lot of you, photos. Right. Yes, a lot. Yeah, because if the lab doesn't know what you're you're seeing, it's hard for them to correct the issue. And you can see on the picture down on the right where we've got where the callus is too big, the plant is ex excessively big. And then you've got some there where it's kind of okay. And then, then you've got where you can see that's the, what we're shooting for there on the, that, that's an aglaonema and that's what we would like to see. And you can have, um, you can see where the, um, some of those, the plant material was out to the edge of the, your um, cell. And then some of it is really small. So if you're wanting to um, your lab to come out with more uniformity within your bag, it's really important to provide this feedback to them. And at, um, the, in our process right now, we look at them at the time of stick. And then we also, one week after stick, provide that information back to the lab to see um, what we might have, if something collapsed, if, um, if there are other issues that are happening. And then it's important through the growing process. If you see other things that are happening, you need to provide that information back to your um, to the lab and to um, maybe your broker, so that they they know what's going on. It, it's going to affect your, um, your the end person is your customer. So if it's something that um, the maybe it was small, maybe it's you're not going to hit your date, and you need to let your customer know that you're not going to hit that date. So we try to, uh, at two weeks before ship, look at, um, are we going to be able to hit our numbers that we've, um, uh, for our customer, um, or, or is something going to need to be backordered? Because that can happen if it's things don't go as planned. Yeah, so the earlier in the process that you're looking at this stuff and comparing it to uh, your spec and ideal sizes, the better you can gauge whether your crop is going to make it on time or not. And, you know, obviously the earlier, the better everyone can make adjustments and then people can get the product they need. So um, you'll see that in a lot of our pictures, we have this grid here 
in both of these. So get some gridded paper for uh, the crew that's inspecting and the crew that's sticking. Put some photos up of what the specs should be going into the tray so everyone's aware and, and sticking the same quality. And then that's going to make everybody's life way easier, especially for the reporting process. Okay, so I think these are the last uh, few sections here of our slides, but we want to leave you with some tips and tricks that we've seen or researched uh, that can hopefully make everybody more successful. And the use of that is capsule, right? Uh, yes. Quite frequently. Yeah, we uh, actually, as we stick it, we apply the capsule and it helps uh, spread that um, droplet across that material. It really yeah. helps in uh, rehydrating your plants. Yeah, so you'll see this photo right here. Uh, normal water will beat up uh, as a little droplet, but when you put in capsule, it spreads it out over the surface of the plantlet. So think of this as another barrier to dehydration for your plants. And so it definitely helps prevent dehydration. Uh, we've got the rate of two ounces per 100 gallons on there, which is on the label. Always read the label and then um, don't do too high of rate. Do some tests with this because if you do get this, it can actually melt plants. Again, those tissue culture plants don't have a cuticle. Um, so they're not quite as resistant to uh, chemicals or products you might be applying. A good example of that is rooting hormones. Uh, we got a lot of questions in the beginning and still now, could we still use rooting hormones on this to improve rooting? Uh, so we've got powder forms, you've got the Hortus Soluble Salts, and then Advocate, which is a newer product from Fine Americas. These bottom two are both liquid uh, or can be sprayed on as a liquid formulation. And we did some work with Echinacea. So here's Baja Burgundy, Sangrita, and Tango Tangerine. And we applied uh, no hormone, powder, or liquid. And we rated our roots from a one to five scale, five being completely rooted. And what you'll see here is the stuff that didn't get any rooting hormone actually looked much better than the stuff that did get rooting hormone. Uh, we actually repeated this another time with different rates of the liquid formulation, and it really didn't improve rooting at all. So at least on Echinacea, there hasn't been a benefit. Uh, we also saw that it did defoliate ficus, but we've seen some improvements with aglaonema. Yes, definitely. So I'd think about, um, I wouldn't rule, rule out rooting hormones on tissue culture, uh, but on some of your slower crops or things that aren't moving at all, uh, take a stab, uh, try uh, some rates, you know, read that label. There's some suggestions, especially with Hortus on what you should apply. I think we were at 200 or 250. Yeah, yeah the, we the did 200 here. Yep. So it's 200 would be a good starting point for most tissue culture plantlets. Uh, but again, uh, they don't have the cuticle. So give it some time before you apply any products on tissue culture plantlets. I'd say at least 24 hours, if not 48, to give those plants a little bit of time to acclimate to a lower humidity, and then you can apply those products. All right, so this is the last slide here. I just wanted to recap uh, some of the things you hopefully picked up from our presentation. First off, pick the right partner and the right crop. Um, work with a broker or the right lab, and then pick the crop that fits your operation with the facilities and expertise you have in order to uh, make sure you're successful. 
Second is instill a strict grading process, whether that be roots, no roots, or the size. Um, make sure that your team knows what they should be sticking so that you get the most uniform and highest success rate. Uh, third, minimize heat from light. You know, we saw a lot of dehydration potential from high pressure sodium or natural sunlight. So if you need to put on remay or other structures to reduce light or move to uh, uh, LED lighting, sole source lighting or chamber acclimation, uh, that could really decrease the amount of dehydration that you're gonna see on tissue culture. We talked about vapor pressure deficit and slowly decreasing humidity. Uh, that's gonna be the way to acclimate your tissue culture the best. And lastly is provide frequent and specific feedback. Uh, everybody wants to improve and get better. And the only way that we can do that is if we communicate effectively and specific information so that uh, improvements can be made and we can keep building the relationship and success of tissue culture. So with that, uh, thank everybody for listening in. Uh, my email's there as well as Deanna's and feel free to reach out with us to us with any questions you might have. Thank you. That was awesome, Nathan and Deanna. Thank you so much for sharing this information about tissue culture. I think as more and more growers begin propagating from TC, understanding the nuances involved in acclimation, as well as the vocabulary, all the information you shared about crop selection, the importance of feedback, and all those tips and tricks will be extremely important and critical. Uh, there's a lot more research to be done on TC and a lot more experience to be gained, but this presentation laid a very solid framework and I truly appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.